for just a second, I want to show you something really cool. If you'll take the, uh, the top of it and press it down. Now, some of you are wondering, how do you get it to retract? I, I, I heard him. I heard him during the, uh, the Greg's little intro. About, you just press the little green clip and it goes right back up. Yeah, miracle. Isn't it amazing? So there you go. Yeah. yeah. And you also notice that the name of the church is on there. So listen, if you're going out to eat after church today, remember that this is our mission field here. So couple of things. Treat your waiter, waitress nice. Tip them good, all right? And then leave the Four Corners pen if you want. Uh, we find them. We, we used to like go out of our way to see how far away the pens would go. I've been in restaurants and I'd find Four Corners pens. It makes me feel so good. So uh, take those, enjoy them, and uh, just take one per person, please. We want to make them last for a little while. That's just a little joke. Hey, around here we have a little saying I want to introduce you. If you don't know this, it's a saying that you hear on occasion when somebody's telling an amazing story. We, we would say something like, it's a God thing. It's a God thing. That's the story. Uh, that's the, what would happen at the end of a story we would tell. We'd go something like this. Somebody would be praying about something, and then they would see God's hand at work in the situation they were praying about. And then when they'd get done, you'd hear regularly people are saying, you know, it was just a God thing. I can't really explain it. Does, don't really know what's going on. I, I, I couldn't make sense out of the whole thing. And God got involved, and he took care of the thing. Well, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts today, and the book of Acts is full of all kinds of God things. But they don't just happen in the book of Acts. See, the book of Acts is a story about the beginning of the church. And everywhere the church has been, God has been at work doing God kind of things. It happens around here regularly. People get prayers answered. Relationships get restored. Marriages grow in vitality. And we see God at work. We see young kids learn about Jesus and decide they want to make him their forever friend and begin a relationship with him. And they don't even have any clue at all that he is more committed to them than they will ever be to, to him. It's just a God thing that happens. I want to take you to a place in your Bible in Acts chapter 4 where an amazing God thing happens that at first glance might take a little bit of just a deep breath to understand because it's one of those peculiar, strange, odd stories that, honestly, a lot of people kind of just tilt their head at. And, mm, I wonder what's going on there. But it's a God thing, and I want to show you how important it is for us today. So at the end of Acts chapter 4, going into Acts chapter 5, here's what we find at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. A strange kind of God thing was happening. It says this, that all the believers were in one heart and one mind. And no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now listen to this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now in the book of Acts, the resurrection was everything. It was like they had the idea that if you could ever find the bones of Jesus, well then the whole message would have been invalidated. In fact, one time, the Apostle Paul basically says to his opponents, as he was debating one time in the open marketplace, he says, take me to his grave and I'll shut up. If, if we can find his bones, I'll be quiet. But since we can't, since he's alive, then we need to keep pressing through this. So with great power, they continued to testify about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them, all that were... Oh my goodness, I screwed that up, didn't I? Here, let's... Where's that English teacher? And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. So here's what they did. From time to time, those who own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet. That's kind of like taking it to the treasury. 
And it was distributed to all the folks that had need. Now, one of the guys that sells a piece of land, his name is Barnabas. That's the very next verse, if you were to read it. And he becomes a major player. But his first major movement at work in the life of the church was to sell a little bit of excess land he had. And he gave the proceeds, he gave the profit from that to the work of the Lord in the church. And this, this was a, a God kind of thing that was happening. It wasn't like somebody got up front and said, hey, guys, if you got extra stuff, why don't you sell it and bring the money? That wasn't what happened. Just spontaneously, ordinary people on their own said, I don't really need that. I don't really need that. And we do have people in need. There are challenges going on in the life of the church. Somebody's got to pay the bills and they would sell it and they'd bring that property. And everybody just kind of stood around and went, wow, that's kind of strange for people to give up stuff like that. And the people who did this, they received a certain amount of notoriety. Now, what was cool about it was, is they didn't do it to get the notoriety, but when they would do these kinds of activities, people would look at them and say, you know, that's, that's not like normal. That's just odd. That's strange. It's a it's a God kind of thing. We've seen a few of these. I remember when we first started as a church, we didn't have a student pastor. And we got our first student pastor a year and a half or so into our, our early church life there. And well, we, you know, we were relatively young and poor as a church. Like, you know, we didn't have like a major endowment. We didn't have all these assets we could draw against. It was just us, those of us in the room, actually in this very room. And somebody came to us and said, look, I've got a van. I'm going to trade in. I was going to trade in and get a new car, but I don't need to trade in the van. I'll just donate it to the church. And that became our first youth van. And I'll be honest, it wasn't anything special. It, was, it worked. The doors opened, the motor turned, and, and our students would take that van and go to their places. And when they did that, I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's kind of strange. That's unusual. They could have gotten a few hundred bucks for the trade-in value, but they didn't want to do that. They wanted to donate it to our kind of beginning youth ministry. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. These kind of things happen all the time in the life of the church. And I bet if you've been following God for any length of time at all, we could have you up here and you could share your story about a God thing. It's very, very cool when God is at work in the life of his church bringing people back together, connecting them to him, restoring, healing, bringing emotional peace in the time of distress, calling people who are far from God, close to himself, doing his work. Sometimes, sometimes working in the middle of an illness, bringing peace and comfort to people. It's amazing when God is at work. Well, this caught the eye of everybody. And something strange happened here that I want to alert us to as a church. Something strange happened right on the heels of what we just read. Chapter 5, if you turn your Bible one page to the very next chapter, something strange is going to happen. There's a man by the name of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, they were watching all this God stuff go on. And they thought, well, we'd like to get in on the action. Uh, In fact... I don't know. It doesn't give us a full psychological profile in the Bible, but I get the sense that they really liked the acclaim that the people who were giving their excess, the people who were sacrificing for the work of the Lord, they really liked the acclaim that those folks were getting. So here's what they did. They conspired amongst themselves. They said, here's what we'll do. We've got some land. We'll sell it just like Barnabas did just like the others are doing. We'll sell our land and we'll take our money to Peter, the the church leader, and we'll tell him, here's the proceeds from the sale of our land. We'll put it at his feet. Give it to whoever you want to give it to. Help, Help people out, meet the needs of the church. But what we'll do is we'll hold some of that money back for ourselves. We won't give it all. I want you to look with me at the passage and see what it says about what happened to them. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, they had a discussion about this. He kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. I mean, this has been a pattern now. People are just kind of spontaneously on their own doing the thing. Then Peter said, now listen to this. Peter said, how is it 
that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the sale of the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You made what you made. I cannot read this morning. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. Here's what Peter was saying. You didn't have to give any of the money. It was yours to do with what you want. You could have given a portion of the money only. But the problem is you came and you gave the money and you looked me in the eye and said, this is all of it. Ananias and Peter were saying, that's dishonest. There's deception here. What started off so beautiful, what started off so pure, what started off as a spontaneous movement of God things, spirit-infused activity, people spontaneously responding to God, people giving of their heart, giving of their wallets generously to the work of the Lord, now has been overshadowed by an act of deception. And God is going to teach a lesson here. At the beginning of the church, when things are pure, and right, and forward-leaning, and people are doing the right things, God's going to show them just how important integrity of heart is. Just how important it is to have truthfulness be a part of God's work. It was like, it was like God was saying, at the beginning of the work, if, if, it, if at all, at least at the beginning, we have to have integrity of heart and integrity of motives. Because without integrity of heart, where there's deception, the church cannot thrive. I mean, if God's work is going to continue over the centuries to do the thing, to continue to have these God moments, for people's lives to continue to be changed, integrity has got to be a core central issue. It's got to be a core value. It's got to mark every activity. And here was Ananias and Sapphira conspiring to, conspiring to make themselves look more important than they should. Conspiring to try to impress people by their spiritual activity, when all they had to do was say, hey, here's a portion of the money. They would have been fine. All they had to do was say, we sold some land, but we're not going to give any of it. And they would have been fine. They wouldn't have been as generous, but they would have been fine. But that's not what they did. They wanted the acclaim of everybody. And they said, here's all the money. We're just like everybody else. We're, we're cool. We're spirit infused. Here's what happened. Immediately, verse five, it says, when Ananias heard Peter say, you know, this was yours to do with what you want. You didn't have to do this. He fell down and he, he died. Whoa, he died. And then the Bible says the most obvious verse in the world. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. Of course it did. I mean, can you imagine if we passed the bucket in this room? And, 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 and you know, every once in a while, somebody, you know, as the bucket passed and they put a few pennies in. And the next moment, they're just like keeled over, you know, arms and legs up in the air. That would be a strange sight. I, I bet the next offering would go a whole lot better. I just, that's just a hunch I have. I, I don't know. Now, Ananias is doing his thing. I'm assuming Sapphira's out in the country or out at the shops doing whatever she's doing. Nothing sexist by that. I don't know where she is. She's just doing her thing. And then it says at first... 10, when she comes in, she has a discussion and she says, where's my husband? And Peter says, hey, before I answer that, is this all the money? And she says, yeah, it's all the money. Every penny we sold, it's all there. And immediately she fell and died also like right there. And then you know what the next couple of verses say? Look, look, at, look at the very next verse. I, in fact, I don't have it for you. Here's what it says. At the end of that, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, the fear was they're grappling with this basic reality of what is God doing? 
What is God doing? What, and what does a passage like this have to say for us? I mean, is this really a passage about giving in the offering? Let me, let me just submit to you. It's not. I certainly overlaps that theme. But that's not what this passage is about. It's about the beginning of things. It's about integrity of heart. It's about foundational values that are supposed to guide and direct this new church, this new movement of what God's doing in the world. And it sets a pattern that I think we can learn from, a pattern I think that will keep us in the flow of God things. A pattern that says integrity of heart and truthfulness and a brutal honesty is important. And anybody that wants to move towards God, if God is going to be free to work at all, there has to be a brutal honesty at work in his people. And wherever there is deception shadowing over top of the truth, God's going to be hindered in his work. In this case, God immediately judges Ananias and Sapphira. Instead of waiting to the end of their life to kind of bring, he brings it on them immediately and says, we're just not going to tolerate deception because in deceptive environments, I cannot do my work. In deceptive environments, people don't get liberated. In deceptive environments, there is no real generosity of heart. It's about truthfulness. It's about honesty. That's what I want to talk with you about for the remaining few moments that we have. In fact, I'd like to have a couple volunteers. I don't typically do this, but uh, with the Hopkins, would you guys mind joining me on stage for a second? I promise I won't embarrass you too much. You can look at each other, get permission. It's all right. Come on, come on. It's, it's all good. You guys know, you guys know these folks. This is the Hopkins. You want to give it up for them real quick? That's what you get for sitting near the front. Come on over. This, this will be painless. You don't have to talk at all. I'm just going to have you illustrate for me a couple of the principles I want to talk about for the next few minutes. So uh, let's see. Let's do the first one. Would you do this? Would, Mike, would you just kind of hold your hands like you're reading a book? Yeah, just like this is a Bible, okay? I, I don't have a Bible. I have an electronic one, so it wouldn't look the same if you held them. And then my, my notes are there, so I'd be really messed up if you took them. And Kate, would you, would you just kind of hold your hands out like that? That's good. This is the posture of surrender, like arms up. You see this a lot of times in ancient Christian art. When people are worshiping, they do this. Around here, when people are worshiping, they'll, they'll throw their, it's just saying, it's God, I'm open to you. It's whatever. Just, just all you got to do is stand there for a second while I chat, okay? I, I want to talk with you guys about some lies that perpetuate themselves in the church. The kind of lies that when they're active, God doesn't flow as freely. God things don't happen as often. These things that I want to talk with you about are central to the core of this church, and they're central to your own development as a follower of Jesus. I asked Mike to stand there and hold his hands like he's looking at a Bible. You know, there's a lie that says the Bible is too complicated. It's too crazy. It's too ancient. I don't understand it. I talked to people over the last two weeks here in our church, knowing I was getting ready to talk about this, and asked them about their Bible reading and what were major obstacles as they engaged reading the Bible. You know, you know what they said to me? Pretty regularly, this is a common... I just don't understand it. I want to tell you, I, I get that. I'm a, as a teacher, a guy with a teaching background, I get that. It can be difficult to understand. But I want to challenge you today and say that it's a simple, I believe, lie of our enemy. A deception at work meant to keep you from pressing fully into God that says you can't engage your Bible on your own because you don't have training. You don't have seminary like I do or you don't understand it. You, don't, you didn't grow up in church and all the names sound strange. I feel like that's just a deception. It's a lie that when it's at work keeps God from moving forward. It's a deception that he'd like to cut out from the life of the church. So I'm going to ask for another volunteer. Does anybody in the room have their Bible with them? Anybody at all in a church? I see right up here. Would you do this? I'm going to ask you, pick a number between 1 and 31. Um, 29. 
29. Would you turn to Proverbs chapter 29 in your Bible? I want to just show you something. Now listen, this is odd. I have not colluded at all. There's no plan at work at all going up here. Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29 in your Bible right there. I just want to show you that what you can do is you can open up your Bible and almost anywhere in your Bible, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. That's why I had her pick a number between, and why'd you pick 29? I think that's a hard one. Um, I had her just pick a number and I want to show you that you could begin almost anywhere in your Bible in just a matter of a few readings, you can get something meaningful and important for life. Whether you have a Bible degree, whether you have a basic literary understanding, whether you're a reader or not, your Bible can speak the truths of God for you. Now, listen, you don't have a microphone up there. I know that we're kind of doing this on the fly, but would you mind to stand and pick a single verse from Proverbs 29 and read it nice and loud? Could you do that for me? Oh, don't you wish you hadn't raised your hand? (laughs) Proverbs 29, any verse whatsoever, just pick one. Oh, good. That was easy. Have a seat. Thank you. So I'm so glad you read that one. Because here's the deal. Without knowing much of anything of context or history, here's what that verse says. Without a vision, people perish. They wither away. People don't thrive. But where there is a sense of what God wants and what God needs and where that's embraced and seen clearly, well, people can move forward. Now listen, I don't care if you understand much of the Bible. I don't care if that's the first Bible you've ever heard. You can deduce from that passage certain truths about God and his interaction with this world that can speak to you. So here's a, here's a lie that says you can't engage your Bible. There's a deception that says you can't understand it. And I want to let you know that that kind of deception will keep you from experiencing all that God has for you. You can regularly open your Bible just like Mike here. And you can read from it. I'm not saying read hours at a time. I'm saying read a few minutes at a time. In fact, every person in this room that wants to experience the kinds of God things that were happening in the book of Acts, one of the things we have to do, it's one of the things that the people in the book of Acts did, is they regularly engaged the teachings of God, the teachings of God's people. We would call that our Bible. And they did that. And as they did that, God spoke to them and their hearts were open and they could receive more from God. Let me just tell you, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're with God or not with God, whether you're kind of coming back, whether you're in the middle of the stream and thriving, engaging your Bible is something that you're called to do. It's something you're supposed to do. And it's something that will liberate you. I'm asking you, don't believe a lie that will cause you to deaden a little bit spiritually that says you can't open your Bible and understand it. You can. Now, I'm not saying there won't be things that you can't understand. Of course, the other stuff I don't understand, but you can read it and God can begin to speak to you through it. Thanks, Mike. You can put your hands on, but don't leave, okay? Now, this is Kate, and, and, and Kate has her hands open in the posture of surrender. It's a posture that really we come to every Sunday here and when we worship, when Justin and the band are leading us in worship, it's a posture of surrender. It's a posture that says, God, my heart is open. Whatever you want to do in me, whatever you want to do through me, that's what I'm willing to do. And there's a lie that says, for instance, that you really might not uh, be able to be a worshiper. You're the kind of person that has so much junk in your past or you don't understand enough. Or you don't have a church that you can't really engage God with an open heart like this. That there's so much going on in your life. There's so much emotional stuff going on. You're so busy. You're so stressed. That you can't really, you don't have the time to pause, open up your heart. And let me just say this to you. We do that on Sunday morning here. We create an environment where that's easy. But I'm not talking about Sunday morning only. Each one of us who are following God, those of us that are wanting to grow in our relationships with Him, we're called to regularly engage with worship. Worship is where we basically say to God, you're worth, that's what worship is about, you're worth it. 
You're on top. You're up there. And I'm down here. And I need to put myself in a place of submission to you. Surrender. I lift my arms. I, you know, you're in charge kind of thing. This struck me really hardcore, and I was sharing it with the staff this last weekend when I wasn't with you. I was doing a wedding up in Chicago. It was really sweet. Every time I do a wedding, it makes me fall in love with my wife all over again. It's great. It's, it's awesome. And uh, Anyway, we, we were on our way back, and I had missed church. And I tell you, when I'm not here, I just, I miss you. I feel like this is like my family, and I, I felt so disconnected. And I said to Jill, you know, what, what are we going to do? You know, don't you miss Sunday morning? She's like, yeah. So I think we have one of our worship CDs. But see, my, my Suburban's old. It's got like 178,000 miles on it, and the CD player doesn't work, but half the time, so I put it in, it didn't work, I kicked it out, put it in. Like, on the eighth time, it finally started up, then it skipped, I had to do it again. And so I, fi- I finally got the CD to play, and there we were, coming back from Chicago through Indiana, and there's nothing to see in Indiana, nothing at all. And so we had no major distractions at all, and we're driving down the road, and the worship band, our worship band is singing songs we sing. And I'm telling you, right there in the middle of Indiana, in my suburban, on the interstate, we had a worshipful moment. We, we had time together, and my wife is a beautiful singer. You should come stand near here during church sometime. It'll bless you. I mean, she's just wonderful. She's singing along. And there we were in our car, worshiping. And it reminded me something that is a truth that speaks very loudly, that the world and the enemy of your soul would like for you not to embrace, that is regularly through your week, you can carve out times of worship where you just surrender yourself. I know you're pregnant. You can put your arms down. I know it hurts after a while. Yeah. You're not pregnant, are you? That's the second time this week. I know. Isn't that terrible? You just had a baby. I did. Let me tell you, I did that on purpose. Honestly. (laughs) This is like the fourth time in the life of this church I've said that to somebody. The first time they left the church. No lie. Isn't that just dumb? I'm trying to push you out the door. Are you okay? You're good. How old is your youngest? Tension. Did you sense that right there? I just broke my pen. Just put the <laughs> nervous tension in the room. Do you think I can recover from this at all? I think so. All right. Nine or ten months. Wow. You doing all right? Yeah. Thank you. Don't leave the stage yet. All right. We're not done. All right. <laughs> Whew. All right. So here's the deal. Right there in the middle of that car, we had a worshipful moment. We had a time where God was able to break through and speak to our hearts. I mean, it was crazy. And so all week long, I've been cleaning out my garage and I put my little iPhone, because I'm cool, right there on the little iPhone dock, which makes me extra cool. And the, the music kind of fills the room and regular God moment. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what you need to do. I don't know how you need to do it. But I do know that regularly, all of us need to make time to worship God. On Sunday morning, of course, but I'm not just talking about that. Don't believe the lie that says you're too busy. Don't believe the lie that says you're unqualified. Don't believe the lie that says you have to wait till you come to church. Embrace the truth that says God can speak to your heart all the time. God can engage you right where you are. Anytime you go to him with a moment of surrender, whether you open your arms up or whether you open your heart up, God can speak to you and through you and engage you right where you are. It was that kind of attitude that led the early church. It was that kind of attitude that in humble beginnings the church began. But God propelled it forward because they had a regular engagement of his teaching and they had a regular open heart that said, God, if you want to speak, I'm open. If you want to work through me, I'm open. If you want to do your thing, I'm here. Use me. What do you need to do? So I was chatting with the staff about this and we decided we'd put our worship CD on the seat of every uh, chair in here. And what we'd like for you to do is just take that home. Now, 
It did cost us some. So this is not like a ploy to get money at all. But if you want to take one of those CDs and you can't afford to pay the 10 bucks that we wanted to charge, don't worry about it. Just take it. If you can, take your envelope home and some point through the week, drop $10 in and mail it right back to the church, that little offering envelope. You don't have to put a stamp on it anywhere in the United States. It'll come back to us. If you go over to like, you know, Canada or something, it won't because it's the United States only. So you do know geography, right? And so you put 10 bucks in there and you send it back to us. What we wanted to do is we wanted to give you a small tool to let you get equipped to engage God wherever. I do it regularly through worship music. You can do it through prayer. There's a hundred thousand ways to worship God, but it's the posture of openness. When was the last time you engaged in the middle of your week a posture of openness? Let me ask you guys to do something. I know you're in love. Maybe you'll have another baby. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Good God, I know. I am so sorry. But would you just put your arms around each other? I want to show you one more thing. I've got them up here just kind of illustrating to you the idea of community. I mean, community is a powerful force at work in the life of the church. It's when people come together from varied backgrounds, varied experiences, varied educational levels and economic levels, gender, color. They come together and they form a group centered around a common idea. In the case of the church, it's this common idea, that Jesus Christ is the deal, that he is everything, that with him at the center we can do more than we would ever ask, think, or imagine. That Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. And when people commit their lives to him, it changes them. And you do that in community with other people, so you're not alone. And some of you in this room, you've believed a lie that says you really can't get in relationships. You're not really the kind of person other people would want to get to know. That if you were to ever dare reveal anything about yourself, they'd make fun of you. And if not make fun of you, they wouldn't embrace you. But here's the truth. Here's what was so beautiful about the early church. It's why people gave money to the early church to help those that were in need. They looked at everybody else in the room and they said, you're a part of us. We have something in common. We may not have the same DNA or background or heritage or culture, but we have something in common that supersedes all of that. And that is our faith in Christ. Because of that, we are going to do our lives together. And so they would sell stuff and bring it and help each other out. And when somebody was in need, they'd make them some food. When somebody was, was hurting, they'd connect resources together and they would pray for each other. And they would encourage each other and they couldn't wait to come together regularly to worship together. And they would take the chance and get past the deceptive lies that work in their minds and they would extend themselves. They would take the risk to build relationships. They wouldn't always wait for somebody to invite them. Sometimes they would initiate. And they get past the lies that say, oh, you can't afford that. You might get rejected. Somebody may not embrace you fully. They, if they really knew your real history, they would. what you should understand is in this room, there's a group of people that have just varied pasts. Our crazy patchwork of, of histories here is nuts. If you knew all of our stories, you would think, really? They're in church? That's what you would think, possibly. And so you're not alone in that. We're all in the same boat together. And you can engage God on a truthful endeavor of building honest community. Community's messy. It's, it's a challenge sometimes. It, it's tough work. Every couple months around here, we begin a thing called the life group launch or the small group launch where we ask people to get together into groups. And people always kind of know they need to. They feel like they should and They'll join a learning group to learn more about God's word together in a group setting or a serving group or a connecting group to just build relationships. But every time we do this, there's one or two people who say, well, I didn't sign up. I, I didn't know. I didn't really. I'm just going to ask you to get past the lie and press into something that can radically change your life. 
God moments happen all the time in small group ministries around here. There are leaders right now in this room who are already praying for people that are going to begin signing up for small groups next week. They're going to be signing up when you come in here. You're going to put it right there on your little connect card. The, the booklet of available options for small groups will be on your seats. You can go online and look as well. And you'll just take the number of the group and put it on your connect card and you'll be in the group. And some of you will believe a lie and never write down a number and never show up to that first meeting. I'm asking you to get past that and engage these three disciplines of the early church. They read their Bibles. They engaged God's word. They regularly worshiped even when they weren't gathered in a church. And they did community together. They got to know each other. They really did. And they made crazy faux pas in in the getting to know each other, like asking somebody if they're pregnant and they're not. They made all kinds of crazy, silly mistakes. But you know what? There was a greater bond that held them together and they got to know each other and together they did more than any one of them would do alone and God used them to grow the church they built a foundation and do you know who benefits from the work that they did from the crazy things that they engaged from pushing themselves over top of the deception that was at work in their culture just like it is in ours we do don't we 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 get the benefit of that there's one final thing I want to leave you with you know this is a passage about them giving money and That early church, they did that regularly. They regularly gave. It was a kind of overarching discipline. It wasn't even about the money for them. It was about the generosity of their heart. Here's what they said. God, you blessed me. How could I not give you back some? How could I not give you back a portion of what you blessed me with? And I just want to say to this church, thank you. Thank you. During a time of transition and craziness, some of you have stepped up in a big way to make sure that the work of this church, which is just a continuation of what happened thousands of years ago, can continue. You stepped up and made it possible for us to do the things we need to do to have church so that people can continue to experience the work of God. Just as a pastor who kind of engages that stuff regularly and watches our cash flow, it means the world to me that you would step up that way. So, Thanks so much. Here's what I'd like you to do right now. Grab your Connect card, and would you say thank you to Mike and Kate Halpin? Thank you. Grab your Connect card. I want to ask you a few things here to take a few next steps together as a congregation. Here's next step A. I wonder if there's anybody in the room that would say, Ben, I need today to trade some spiritual lies I've been believing about myself, like I'm not worthy. Like, I couldn't understand the Bible if I tried. Like, I'm too busy to carve out time for worship. Or God couldn't use me. Or I couldn't be a part of this church. Or I can't be forgiven. I wonder if there's any spiritual lies you've been holding on to that you'd like to get rid of and trade for the truth. If that's you at all, would you check the box and let the staff and I pray for you that you could begin to experience the liberation that comes from being set free. That you would experience Jesus' words where he said, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Here's the next step B. I wonder if anybody would say, Ben, I need to step up with more truthfulness with myself. That is, I haven't been believing, li- been believing lies from outside coming on me. Within myself, I've been telling myself lies. Like, God can't use me. I really couldn't serve. Uh, people wouldn't like me if they really knew me. If you've been believing lies about yourself, I wonder if you just open up your heart today and let God speak a little truth over you while we pray. Check the box and let the staff and I engage with you this week on those, that, that, that very issue about just believing truthful things, the things that God says about you, that you're loved, that you're his son, that you're his daughter, that he gave his life for you, that you're intrinsically valued and worth a lot, not because you're so great, but because he puts worth on you. So if that's you, check that box.
Here's the next step C, just to kind of bring it down practically. I wonder if there's anybody that would say, Ben, I'm stepping up to engage Bible reading more. Listen, I'm not talking about an hour a day, but I'm saying regularly through your week, just open your Bible. See, it's important that as a church, we grow deeper in our faith, that our roots branch out further and our limbs grow out longer as we grow deep in God's word. So if you're not engaging God's word, engage it. This summer of rest, as you're recharging your batteries, recharge it with his truth. Check that box and let us uh, kind of do this together as a group. Here's the next step, D. I wonder if there's anybody that would say, I'm making worship more of a priority in my life. Then I need to carve out more times where I just surrender myself to God and say, God, you're the potter, I'm the clay. You're the king, I'm the servant. You're in charge, I take the orders. Mold me, make me, shape me, do with me what you want. If that's you, then check that box as an act of your first step of surrender. And when we pray here in just a second, open up your heart to God and see what he does with it this summer. I'm going to tell you what will happen is he will regularly bring to your life God moments, things that go beyond your own normal explanation. And people, those of us who know you, will stand back and say, whoa, God is at work in your life. Let's pray about those things right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy. God, I want to thank you that In the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we get just a strong sense of how important integrity is for you. God, it's true that nothing of spiritual importance happens. Nothing of spiritual importance happens if we don't bring our honest selves to you. If we can't engage you spiritually, God, with honesty and integrity, you can't help us move forward. You can't take us where we need to go. So we, God, come to you now in humbleness. We come to you, God, with open and honest and sincere hearts. God, speak louder to us than the lies of this world. Speak louder to us than our own insecurities and deceptions. God, I want to thank you for those folks in this room that are going to engage your word more deeply, more regularly. God, I want to thank you for those folks that are going to get in community and build relationship as messy as it is and as hurt as they've been in the past to re-engage you, re-engage your people. God, I want to thank you for those folks that are going to step up with open hearts and surrender to you. God, grow our church. Make us to be a book of Acts kind of church where greater things are yet to come, where the best is yet to come. We praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.